0: I'm Brittany Bathea, your host of The Heart of the Matter, where we highlight best practices and innovation in cardiovascular disease prevention and health promotion, aiming to invigorate the field and help set direction for the future. Heart disease, stroke, and other cardiovascular diseases account for one in every three deaths in the United States. Cardiovascular disease is the nation's leading cause of death among both men and women, and the leading cause of health disparities. Earlier this year, in partnership with the CDC Million Hearts Initiative, the National Association of Chronic Disease Directors provided an opportunity for organizations to receive funding as part of the Million Hearts Health Equity Implementation Project to reduce health disparities and improve cardiovascular health. I'm excited to introduce Dr. Stephanie Harriman-McGrath. She's the Executive Director of the Pennsylvania Pharmacist Care Network. Through this role, she supports the growth of a clinically integrated pharmacy network and engages stakeholders such as health plans to build sustainable value-based care models for community pharmacy care. Dr. McGrath is also the director of community partnerships and an adjunct clinical instructor with the University of Pittsburgh School of Pharmacy. Thank you, Brittany.
1: I really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you today. My primary role is to engage with health plans and other types of payer partners to develop programs where pharmacists can take care of patients on the ground in their pharmacies in their communities, and really work to improve their health outcomes and do so in a way that's valuable to the healthcare system.
0: Stephanie, pharmacists play such a crucial role in reducing the risk for heart disease and stroke in the United States. Could you tell us a little bit more about your Million Heart Self-Equity Implementation Project? Specifically, what's the problem you're trying to solve, and how did you decide on your approach?
1: The problem that we really set out to address is how to successfully implement hypertension assessment and monitoring services in a community pharmacy. And so our clinically integrated pharmacy network here in Pennsylvania makes up over 200 community pharmacies, mostly independently owned, so our project was titled Expansion of Hypertension Management Services in Vulnerable Populations Across Community Pharmacies. And through this work we aim to expand hypertension services that include services like blood pressure screenings and hypertension medication therapy management in Pennsylvania community pharmacies. The University of Pittsburgh School of Pharmacy partnered with PPCN as member pharmacies are already dedicated to implementing these types of services into their workflow to create patient-centric models and advanced care to patients including medication adherence packaging, medication therapy management, point of care testing, and disease state management. So many of our community pharmacies are located in underserved communities of high social vulnerability, both in rural and urban settings. And because we know that Medicaid patients visit their pharmacy up to 35 times a year, we felt this was a really great opportunity to leverage the relationship formed between the pharmacy and their patient, as well as leverage the access patients have to their pharmacy. We partnered with five PPCN, or Pennsylvania Pharmacist Care Network pharmacies, to implement these hypertension services and really evaluate the implementation with them. We supported them weekly in training, in blood pressure assessment and monitoring services, and also in in the service development, including collaboration with other healthcare providers. Our subject matter experts that we worked with hosted weekly topic discussions um, with our pharmacists and pharmacy interns at the site's to help them share best practices or learnings and the challenges they were having, brainstorm solutions to those challenges, and then
0: also share impactful patient stories. Thank you for sharing that overview. And it sounds like as a part of this project, you all leverage community pharmacies to really screen patients, not only for hypertension, but also for social needs. Like if they have employment or do they have access to transportation? So what kind of support do you feel like pharmacists need to be successful in such an effort?
1: That's a great question, and that's one of the things that we tried to get ahead of as well. And so we know that social determinants of health are being increasingly recognized throughout the whole healthcare system as areas where patients are struggling. Americans are really struggling with some of these factors related to where they live, where they work, where they go to school, where they worship, that can impact their ability to take care and manage their own health. And so we know that it's very complicated. It's often very much not related to healthcare or even medications. At the end of the day, if someone can't afford their housing or afford their food to put food on the table, they make decisions differently. And sometimes healthcare gets pushed to the back burner while people focus on some of the higher priority issues in their day to day life. And so we wanted to position our pharmacists and our pharmacy teams to be most successful in in these initiatives. And that includes training. So we develop training modules to help our pharmacists be successful and also partnership with health plan representatives and care management teams. And so we know that there are just tons of resources that exist to help people with their finances, to help them with food insecurity, to help them with clothing and childcare, but it's often not easy to find those resources. And so we wanted to help pave those paths and, and let people know about the resources that exist and specifically how to find them. So we did a lot of training in, in partnership with the health plan care management team as well and so the pharmacy teams could understand what resources exist at a health plan and could work collaboratively with care management where the care management could refer into a pharmacy and vice versa. We also provided information to the pharmacies about how to identify the resources that exist in their area and how to best connect people to those resources. And then really, I think it's just about caring. And that's not something that you can train you know, for. You can't teach that. But again, I think our pharmacy teams were really well positioned to be able to take advantage of this opportunity. They're very altruistic individuals generally. And they've been doing a lot of this work for many years and, and taking care of their communities. And so this provides a sustainable mechanism for them to be able to do that and in a standardized way. And so you never want to start asking questions for things that you can't solve or uncover problems that you don't have a potential solution for, a referral pathway for. And so we're continuing to do open dialogue discussions with our pharmacists as well and allowing the pharmacy teams that have implemented these services for quite some time and have those success stories. And some of those challenges, too, You know are some of the best learnings. To be able to share back with you know the rest of the network and say okay we tried this and it didn't work and now we've you know we've incorporated our delivery driver to ask these questions when they're in the patient's home and the patient is more comfortable answering these questions when they're right there or they're more comfortable answering the questions over the phone and not in the pharmacy. But then the pharmacy team comes up with a pathway and a process to follow up with that individual and make sure that they get the resources that they need, not just call this one eight hundred number, but let me set you up with a care manager at the health plan so that, that can really help to follow up with you on some of these more high level, more complex things while you take care of the food insecurity at this food bank over here. And it's not a one size fits all by any means. And so they've really learned to customize it to the needs of the patient and really takes the patients trusting the pharmacy team as well to be able to confide in them, you know, about some of the things that they're struggling with. So we're continuing to learn. Uh, we've had a lot of great success stories in the program And we'll continue to see success moving forward.
0: Yeah, it sounds like there is really a a multidisciplinary approach that you all took to ensure that there's multiple collaborations to help address not only the medical need, but also the social need. Is there something that the participating pharmacies are going to plan to continue, you know, in terms of implementing hypertension programs now that this project has concluded?
1: Yes, absolutely. So that's the really great thing. So we get to take everything that we learned from these five pharmacy sites that we started with and evaluated and worked with weekly over the course of several months, take what we've learned from them to be successful, take what we've learned from them to be challenges, and then scale that across the network. So the network level, our leadership team takes this information again, the success, the challenges. We customize additional training, we share out the resources that have been developed. So the Physician facing marketing materials, the patient facing communications, and sharing that out with the network so that other pharmacy teams can use these resources as well. The other services or components of the service, including the social determinant of health screening and referral, it has been implemented across other health plans as well. And so, that piece in particular, there's just great value. There's awareness and recognition that there's really great value in. Being able to stop and identify SDOH related needs that are preventing people from taking care of their health. Work to resolve those needs so that health outcomes can improve and and patients can focus more on their hypertension and managing the their overall health. The other things that I'm working on so you know I am a pharmacist but I don't have a pharmacy and you know at this this point in time I'm not seeing patients on the ground and taking care of them myself my role though is to continue to develop sustainable patient care programs and payment for services as a really critical piece of sustainability so that our pharmacists can provide these services in an equitable manner not just for the health plans that cover it or the people that can afford to pay for it but really across the board and so you know we're working closely with the state of pennsylvania to be able to allow for payment models for pharmacists to be part of the healthcare team And be able to implement these services equitably across the Commonwealth. And then we're also, our pharmacists are looking to expand the services, um, looking to leverage technology, including remote patient monitoring, as well to meet people where they are more efficiently and effectively manage hypertension remotely in collaboration with other healthcare providers. There's a lot of innovation in this space right now that's really exciting to see at the community pharmacy level. Pharmacists are excited to be able to take care of their patients and do it in a sustainable way. And we're really excited to see the the outcomes that are starting to be generated from these programs.
0: Yeah, it sounds like health equity is really driving the framework for which you're doing the work. And I appreciate you mentioning doing the work with empathy and then also having this tailored approach that is not one size fits all. I think those are important considerations for thinking about how you spread the model to other community pharmacies, but also be able to be nimble and attentive to the needs of that particular community. Well, thank you. I really appreciate this part of the conversation, and we're excited to speak with your colleague, Dr. Kelsey Hake, as well. Thank you, Brittany. Happy to be here. We're excited to also be joined by Dr. Kelsey Hake today. Dr. Hake serves as the Director of Engagement of the Pennsylvania Pharmacist Care Network. Dr. Hake leads quality improvement and quality assurance in this role by supporting community pharmacies in the network with implementation and provision of enhanced patient care services. Dr. Hake is a Senior Program Manager at the University of Pittsburgh School of Pharmacy. At Pitt, she collaborates with student pharmacists, interns, and postgraduate learners on grants and community-based research while teaching students about community pharmacy practice and innovation. Dr. Haig also serves as the lead pharmacist preceptor at the Allegheny County Health Department Pharmacy, where she provides direct patient care and forms connections with the health department and local community pharmacies to enhance reach and access for public health initiatives. Kelsey, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you, Brittany. Glad to be here with you. So we we had a great conversation with Stephanie earlier, and from your perspective, especially being the Director of Engagement um, for the Pennsylvania Pharmacist Care Network, what advice would you give to a pharmacist who might be interested in building up the hypertension services that they provide to their patients? Thanks for that question, Brittany.
2: There are a lot of learnings that came from these pharmacies while they prepared for implementation and then also while they began implementation and started providing care to patients. I think one of the big takeaways was engagement of the pharmacy team, engagement of the patients, and engagement of other healthcare providers and collaborators. The other important piece of engagement is engaging the patients. Throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, many patients sought healthcare services at their pharmacy and became accustomed to the level of access to services like testing, treatment, immunizations, really whatever the patient needed in that moment. In the case of COVID, the demand was initiated by the patients, but in the case of hypertension services, patients may not realize that they have a need or may not recognize that the pharmacy can provide this level of support. Subsequently, patients may or may not expect these types of services at their pharmacy, Often the pharmacy, the patient, and their primary care providers are all working towards the same goals, but the healthcare providers may not know that these pharmacy services are options for patients to even make that referral. The pharmacies that had successful relationships with providers learned how to best communicate that they were on the same team as the providers and were working toward the same goals for blood pressure management.
0: Thanks, Kelsey. And I love how you mentioned that you'll learn as you go, right? I'm curious to know the pharmacists that participated in this project. What are one or two things that they learned about working with healthcare providers?
2: Sure. So I think sitting down and having that honest conversation with that provider to get everyone on the same page one, to recognize that you're working towards those same goals, and two, how you can do that or how you could coordinate care between one another to do that was really an important thing that the pharmacists recognized as they started to engage other healthcare providers. So creating things like a referral form where that provider could indicate what service they wanted that patient to be engaged in at the pharmacy or the pharmacy creating a communication process back to the provider when they did take a blood pressure that was elevated or maybe the patient was having too low a blood pressure and how the pharmacy addressed it and maybe made that recommendation back to the provider or educated the patient on precautions to take to avoid that blood pressure dropping too low. So I think just open lines of communication, open lines of communication around goals and what you're all working towards in terms of provider collaboration.
0: I love how you mentioned open lines of communication. I'm thinking that some patients may not necessarily know how much blood pressure support they could even get from their pharmacist in their community. I'm curious, how did patients react to being a part of this project? Once patients in this program understood
2: the benefit of the program and how the pharmacies could help them in this way and create like continuity of care, the patients were really receptive. They saw firsthand pharmacies acquiring a prescription for them for a home blood pressure monitor, getting it covered for them at no cost, and then educating them on the appropriate technique to get an accurate reading at home. The patients saw how the pharmacy helped get them a doctor's appointment the very next day when they had an elevated blood pressure reading. They also saw how the pharmacy identified drug therapy problems, and maybe they provided counseling on a different administration to a known side effect, or to avoid a known side effect, or coordinate care with the provider to clarify the appropriate dose. And the patients also saw that the pharmacists could provide lifestyle education and modifications like diet, exercise, and tobacco cessation. Once patients experienced this level of care for themselves at the pharmacy, they kept coming back for more. So with all of these really enriching services, the pharmacies had the ability to tailor which services they provided to the patients based on their needs and could layer in other pharmacy services like medication reconciliation, medication adherence packaging, home visit, home delivery, and more to individualize their care. So with the breadth of these services, right, that's a lot of services, it's really important that the patient's needs needed to be identified and the services need to align with the needs in collaboration with that patient. So several of the pharmacies made their own patient-facing flyers or pamphlets to do exactly that,
0: demonstrate to the patients how they can help through these services. Wow. And that really sounds like that helps a patient really see the pharmacist as a member of their care team, as opposed to just a location where they might pick up medication, which is really important. Thanks for sharing that story. So, Kelsey, I know that some patients, they may not know how much blood pressure support that they can actually get from the pharmacist in their community. So, what kind of support do you feel pharmacists need to be able to replicate the type of success that you just shared in that story? So I think pharmacists to be
2: successful in in providing this level of care, you know, a lot of the pharmacies already know how to do this level of care and they've been providing it for years, but by creating mechanisms to promote sustainability, like reimbursement for this care so that the pharmacists feel supported in spending time with the patients is a huge opportunity to improve support. But ultimately, I think it's taking what we've learned in this program And infusing it back into the network and infusing it back into the pharmacy. So the things like engaging patients and other healthcare providers in incorporation of these services and bringing them along the way with us. The things like starting before you feel ready and and adapting as you go and improving the process as you go. The things like leveraging existing workflow operations to incorporate these services so that it doesn't feel like you're starting from scratch. Those are the learnings that we have taken away and shared back with the network and also plan to share at statewide and national meetings as well so that certainly we can help promote the learnings across our network. But can we help other pharmacies across the country learn from our experience as well?
0: Great. Thank you, Kelsey. And what's next for this project? How do you feel about the importance of taking these learnings and basically trying to see how this can be modeled elsewhere?
2: We're really excited for what comes next after this project. You know, there were a lot of learnings about workflow operations and engaging team members, engaging patients. And as Stephanie shared, she talked a little bit about technology and how we can leverage technology in this type of model next with remote patient monitoring. But we also learned a lot about the incorporation of social determinants of health screening and referral and how valuable they were as a part of this model to ensure that patients had an opportunity to address other things that may have taken precedence over their health or were priorities over their health care. And so another opportunity to broaden what we learned in terms of social determinants of health is engaging our pharmacy team members in things like community health worker training. So having a pharmacy technician trained as a community health worker on staff in the pharmacy that patients have access to so we can better advocate for them in terms of other things that they may be encountering or dealing with or opportunities to help them navigate other scenarios that may be preventing them from feeling like they can focus on their own health care and well-being.
0: Great. Well, that's very exciting, and we hope to stay in touch to hear more about some of these success stories and also the efforts of other pharmacists who might be reaching out to you all to, to learn more about your lessons learned as they implement their own programs. Thank you, Dr. Haight. We really appreciate you joining this conversation, and we look forward to next steps for the project. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Brittany. Earlier, we heard about the Pennsylvania Pharmacist Care Network, a state-based approach to build sustainable value-based care models for community pharmacy care. Now, we'll hear about the approach of a clinically integrated group of community-based pharmacy networks at the national level from Troy Trigstad. Troy is the executive director of CPESN USA, a clinically integrated network of community-based pharmacy networks that endeavors to improve the quality and the effectiveness of enhanced services provided by participating pharmacies and align them with the workflows and payment reform incentives of physicians, their support staff, and other healthcare providers. Troy possesses over 20 years of experience with multidisciplinary care teams and intervention development and implementation under alternative payment and support models. Troy recently served as the board member for the American Pharmacists Association Foundation and the Pharmacy Quality Alliance as well as remains the Editor-in-Chief of Pharmacy Times. Troy, we're so excited to have you here today.
3: Thanks for having me, Brittany.
0: So we just had this great conversation with Dr. Haight, and she gave this really phenomenal success story. However, that success was at the local level, and what we're interested in learning is how we really scale that type of success at the state level, at the national level. What do you think are key factors behind the success like that?
3: It's interesting because the pharmacy setting of care, when you're looking at something like high blood pressure, which ongoing monitoring necessitates, right, so I'm going to be taking my blood pressure regularly, what is the other regular healthcare provider that I go to on a regular basis? It's a community pharmacy, except community pharmacies never really viewed themselves as public health screening or screening providers. Um, they may have set up a machine out front for folks to take their own blood pressure but just being given the permission and the charge and the responsibility and the pride frankly of being a frontline screener across really any kind of a disease state chronic disease state especially but with blood pressure it's certainly something that all sixty thousand plus pharmacies can provide provide successfully and i think that 20 years ago, nobody had the expectation that a pharmacy should be able to provide immunizations. And I guess my vision would be, how many years should it take us before we think of a pharmacy that it's an expectation that they provide hypertension screening, ongoing monitoring versus, oh, that's a neat idea. Um, That's pretty cool. We should do more of that. Uh, That's what they were saying about immunizations back in 2004, 2006 in pharmacy, and now 90% of all adult immunizations occur in a pharmacy setting.
0: That's a great point, you know, to to take these lessons learned from the COVID-19 pandemic and other learnings as well. How do you think that partnerships can really help pharmacies implement these strategies to make sure that we're reaching underserved or vulnerable populations to get the the blood pressure screenings that they need?
3: Local, 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 with a national goal and a national charge. So the other lesson we learned from COVID is that the, and I'll speak for CPSN because we saw it, uh, three quarters of our participating pharmacies of 3,500 across the country are in socially vulnerable neighborhoods. And what almost every one of those pharmacies will tell you is that the most successful collaborations were with local health departments, local population management entities, community-based organizations. So the beauty of all of those entities is that they are embedded locally, they understand the needs and the resources locally, how to approach populations locally, but you can string them together with a national charge, a national set of outcomes and deliverables. And as long as you can collect the data together like we did during COVID when we had the National Immunization Registry, you can really start to track and be effective and provide uh, feedback loops as to what's working and what's not working as trends but still keep it local. One of my favorite stories is of a pharmacist in rural Iowa who has an Amish community, large Amish community, over a thousand individuals. And he was able to work locally around COVID response and countermeasures and vaccines because he was trusted, right? He was a known entity. He was of the community. He had interacted with those folks, gone to school with some of them in some ways, crossing paths on occasion. But no one really, nobody else was really going to interact successfully with that community. And it's a community that needed access or needed, uh, you know, an outlet to the outside world. Same thing would happen if you're in impoverished areas or if you're in an urban area as well. We had a lot of pharmacies that were very, very effective working with folks locally. Of course, many of us in, in the pharmacist world and in the hypertension world are now familiar with the barbershops program where a pharmacist went to local barbershops, and very successful interactions. The clinical is the clinical, right? And hypertension is, for most folks, a relatively straightforward condition with relatively straightforward screening and monitoring. And this idea of bringing the care to you or having it be in the community allows you to relate, speak the language, work with folks where they live, work, and play, and pray. And so I think We learned that during COVID, and those lessons during COVID, we can extend to a lot of conditions like hypertension, diabetes, and other conditions that are particularly fraught with environmental and behavioral considerations.
0: And it sounds like these ongoing community partnerships, they contribute very critically to the overall well-being of communities. I'm curious to know, you know, from your perspective, how do these community partnerships potentially reduce the burden of the healthcare system in terms of cost?
3: If you use the folks that are already in that community or already trusted in that community, you're already starting past go, right? We're seeing this incidentally in clinical trials recruitment. You can put an ad on a radio, particularly in suburbia. And you're gonna get what we see now with clinical trial enrollment. But we struggle to get subgroups of socioeconomically ignored or underserved areas that don't find themselves in the clinical trials. And we talk about pharmacoequity equity and those types of things. And we're having really good success even on the clinical trial facilitation or enrollment in these underserved communities, again, because they recognize a face or they've been with a pharmacy for three generations. They have a small business in that community, in that zip code, they're not driving three zip codes away to go to their physician or to go to the ED. A lot of the areas of the country that we're talking about, whether they are rural, urban, or or otherwise, just don't have access to a lot of other healthcare professionals. And so community pharmacies, particularly those in these zip codes that are in these neighborhoods that have locations in these neighborhoods, have staff that a lot of the members of residents of those communities can relate to tend to be really good vehicles for all sorts of screening and brief intervention referral for treatment and these kinds of activities. So I would say that reducing that marketing and engagement cost and sort of investing in the folks that are in the community to do the engagement for relatively straightforward activities that can be done on protocol is a great population health strategy.
0: Yeah, we, when we spoke with Dr. Hake, she really emphasized that the pharmacist really plays a role in also screening for social determinants of health, barriers such as transportation that might keep someone from medication adherence or follow up with a physician. And I'm curious to know from your perspective, what unique skills or expertise do you think pharmacists who might be listening need to bring to the table when it comes to partnering with communities to screen not only for high blood pressure, but for some of those other social determinants of health?
3: You know, it's really threefold. I think every practitioner through their experiential learning goes through now appropriately, how you interact with patients and caregivers and household members. And so pharmacy gotten to be pretty good at that. I think that there's a greater appreciation of non-pharmacist workforce members in the pharmacy now as well, and the importance of having representative and culturally competent staff that match with and meet the needs of your communities as well. So that's thing one is sort of the training and makeup of the workforce in the pharmacy. I think thing number two is that you have to know who you're referring to, and you have to have a relationship with who you're referring to. So know the churches in your area, the synagogues in your area, the, the meals on wheels, right? So when you talk about food and transportation and housing, again, we have sort of a a fabric of services across the country that get deployed and resourced in different ways. And so for every pharmacy location that's out there, the staff should be well-versed in what to do when you screen. I think the third is probably the easiest, actually, which is because of those relationships, and if you know who to refer to, the screening part actually gets to be the easiest part, right? Because you can relate to the person, the, the patient, the consumer, the household, the caregiver pretty easily. That's bucket one. And you know what to do when they say, oh, yeah, I actually do have a challenge with X or Y or Z. And so the actual screening and referral process then gets to be the easiest part.
0: You know, when we think about the team-based care approach, I think we're we're really lasering in in this conversation about the pharmacists and the role of the community pharmacy. But are there lessons from this type of work that you feel other professionals in the healthcare team should be adopting as well?
3: I think all healthcare professionals and paraprofessionals have gone through this learning curve over the past decade or so. We've seen the data that says that sixty percent of your life expectancy is associated with your zip code. I think that we've had a couple social movements now that while we can rightly and vigorously disagree about how to fix those, we acknowledge that they're there now, and we see that the effects on people and households and communities and economies. And so I think we're all going through it, whether you're a pharmacist, a physician, a nurse, a dentist, or whomever. I think the next level of it is how do we have a coherent system in a local community so that you can take efforts and make them additive or synergistic rather than subtractive or antagonistic or even at odds. At times we used to say in my role of facilitating care management, when patient centered medical home came around, the medical neighborhood started to come around that the most ill coordinated people in the healthcare system were the care coordinators, right? But I think we need to figure out how to have a coherent, way of folks working together in local areas that fit those local areas.
0: That's a good point, because we talk about this concept of scale at the national level, but then also there's the concept of tailoring some of these interventions at the community local level. So, it's really kind of about pairing what that community might need, but also applying lessons learned at the at the local or state level, at the national level, if we're finding it to be effective.
3: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a believer in, in, in marketplaces and local solutions, but also smart measures, right? Specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and timely. And that we should have a common set of goals, right? So million hearts, heart attacks, blood pressures, you know, the, the movement around Medicare modernization of first Medicare modernization of 2003, but then the Affordable Care Act, which when it comes to innovation around payment, are actually remarkably aligned, even though they came from different sides of the aisle. We have sort of universal agreement that we need to pay for healthcare differently. Where we have disagreement is how it gets paid for, which is fine. We have used almost universal agreement that we really wanna pay for reducing heart attacks and morbidity and mortality. And we've we've now, at least as a country, come up with some convergence on a common set of metrics. So you can imagine common funding goals, ways of measuring, measuring in the community, that if you have that, then you can allow for sort of local ways and nuances about how to get there and align funding to do that. In the U.S., we come from the land of a gazillion innovations, and that's a good thing. That's been good throughout our country's history. But when it comes to health care, where you're mixing in markets with social needs, this idea of having some kind of convergence so that we can truly actually track and improve on the, the metrics of local communities, that if we're going to uh, scale, which needs to happen from these innovations, that that's fine so long as that we're tracking towards the same endpoints or so the same outcomes. How you work backwards from that and solve those problems so long as you're actually improving the outcomes and we have a common way of measuring them, work locally.
0: Well, thank you, Troy. We really appreciate you joining us today to bring the national perspective to this conversation. And thank you all for your time as you shared your experiences and really helped invigorate us as we continue the work to prevent cardiovascular disease. To our listeners, thank you for joining. With gratitude to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention for funding this effort, this podcast episode is brought to you by the National Association for Chronic Disease Directors. The National Association of Chronic Disease Directors and its more than 7,000 members seek to strengthen state-based leadership and expertise for chronic disease prevention and control. Established in 1988 in partnership with CDC, NACDD is the only membership association of its kind to serve and represent every chronic disease division in all states and U.S. territories. For more information, visit chronicdisease.org.